Thanks for joining us for the Exchange Church Podcast. Here's this week's message from our special guest. Well, I am delighted to be at the Exchange Church. It's, it's not an Exchange Church, as though are many. This is the Exchange Church. Are you right? Am I right? Yeah, this is it. This is it. For a little while there, I thought I was downtown Austin on the strip there listening to music. It's so great. I mean, really? I mean, different kind of lyric, right? But quality that's out of this world, right? That's a pretty good, it's a pretty good indication that your senior pastor team, uh, Trey and Carrie, understand music, <laughs> you know. I go to some churches where the pastor doesn't even know A from G or B from C or not much of anything about music. Sometimes it shows up. But if your pastor is a music musician, you know, you're not going to have bad music. You, you do understand that, don't you? And so you all have great, great leadership and Pastor Trey and Carrie. And I think that this group on the platform here you need to give them a great round of applause and let them know how much you appreciate it. Uh, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. I am thrilled to be here. It's been my joy to watch and to uh, be with uh, your pastors over these years in different environments, not only our conference in, uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, which I would invite you to. Uh, we'd love for you to come with your pastors, as some, some of you, many of you have. And we'd love for you to come again. But um, let me just bring greetings from Pastors Ed and Lisa Young, pastor of the Fellowship Church. It's in Grapevine, Texas, across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex uh, campuses in Dallas and in Fort Worth and in north part of Dallas and different places around and about there in the Metroplex, East Texas, and in locations in Florida and in other parts of the world. So let me bring greetings to you from them, and I want to express my deep appreciation to Trey and Carrie for the invitation to be here. We've already seen God do something in the previous service. Uh, God does. My granddaddy used to pray, God works in mysterious ways his wonders do perform. A mentor friend of mine said that God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And uh, so God did that in the last hour. He took, a, uh, took the message and moved it into the heart and the life of a person and brought healing to them and what he believes was healing to his body also. And so we praise God, and we believe that he is going to do, already has. I mean, if, if you can't get into singing about the love of God, you know, you really need to have revival if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, you need to walk out of here a believer because God does something when we offer unto him in singing praises to the Lord and acknowledging who he is and what he is in our lives. And so we've already had that. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to open the book. And we're going to see what God has to say about, to us about life. I listen to some strange music from time to time. I was preaching last weekend. 
And uh, I close the message with um, uh, a lyric from the king of country music. Now, the king of country music was born in Alabama, not in Texas, and he was born in the 20s or 30s, and his name was Hank Williams, not Hank Williams Jr., Bo Cephas, but the real Hank Williams. And he wrote many, many songs. He, he died when he was barely 29 years of age, he died of a, a massive heart attack on his way between my hometown of Knoxville and Cincinnati. And uh, he wrote many, many songs, many, many songs, and sort of set the pattern for country music. And so um, I was asked to preach on a message on being free from chains and bondage. And so I thought it was appropriate to close the message with a great a line from a great song, Take These Chains from My Heart and Set Me Free. <laughs> you know, and I believe Jesus comes to do that very thing, take the chains from our heart and set us free. And so today I'd sort of just like to begin with a, with a lyric. And uh, it's a lyric from a band that probably many of you are familiar with. And the lyric is a pathetic lyric. Uh, it's a plea. It's a cry. It has a longing ring to it. And maybe some of us in the room have the, have the longing in our hearts of this lyric. And the lyric just simply says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You see, I believe that we long to live life on a high level. And sometimes we do, and for some people, most of the time they do. They live life less than what God has designed. And I believe God has sent me to the north part of Austin here in Round Rock, Texas this morning to say to you that God designs for you to live a more than rather than a less than kind of life. Are you ready to receive that today? a more than rather than a less than kind of life. You don't have to leave here with a dream in your mind that I'm going to live a life that I long for. I, I, I long for it, but I still haven't found it. I believe it's God's design for you today to walk out of here with this intersection of your life saying, I believe I've found what I'm looking for. The text today is from the book of Ephesians. Someone said between services, in their small group or their group that they meet with, that they have been going through the book of Ephesians. Actually, the person's been reading the, the book of Ephesians, always talking about it. It's one of the pristine books of the Bible, written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the entire New Testament. And in the, in the epistle to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, he really tells them that they don't have to live life less than. They were a people who were in a circumstance, in an environment where they could experience the fullness of life, but apparently they were missing it. And so Paul writes to them and says, let me tell you, everything that you need to live the life that you long for is available. You do not have to live a less than kind of life. You can live a more than kind of life. You say, how do you get that? Well, let me just remind you of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 is not our text for this morning, but it is a support text. It says, now unto him. Anytime you find that phrase, now unto him, it's about uh, the writer is about to burst forth in praise. And so he said, now unto him who is able to do, listen to this, exceedingly and abundantly 
above all that we can ask or imagine. I'd call that more than, wouldn't you? More than, exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. With that in your mind, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, and listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. They'll be on the screens. You can see them. And listen to what Paul says to the Ephesian believers. He says, after, and he's, talk, he's going to talk to them about this kind of life. He's going to talk to them about a more than kind of life. He said, now, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things in the church. Living above. Not living longing, but living a more than kind of life. The Apostle Paul says, you can have it. You can have it. But he reminds us that it's not just something that we can have like that. He said, let me tell you, you can be positioned. You can be positioned to live a more than kind of life. You can be positioned. When you, when you think about positioning, I, 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 I think about athletics, I always do. I don't know why, but I do. I think about athletics. And yesterday afternoon after we'd had dinner with uh, uh, Pastors Kerry and, 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 and Trey and, and uh, Michaela and Lawrence, uh, we, I went back to the hotel. And when I went in to the hotel lobby, there was a group of, of girls, uh, young girls, teenagers, I guess, that were sitting there. And they, uh, pizza boxes were everywhere, and they were eating pizza. And I looked at them, and I thought, I bet you they're, they're soccer players. They, they weren't dressed to play baseball in, in spring training, and they certainly weren't anything. I, I, I just saw soccer. So I stopped and I said to the coaches, this is a soccer team. They said they're a soccer team. And they were here for a tournament, and they were playing again this afternoon because they had won yesterday. They're from San Antonio. They want to take everything out of Austin and take it to San Antonio. I'm just saying that they wanted to win. And so they're winning the tournament. Maybe think about our, our boys. When we moved to Texas to, from Kentucky, uh, my boys had seen a soccer ball, but they'd never played soccer. Uh, my wife and I went on our first mission trip. We went to India. And in India, for the very first time, I picked up a soccer ball. I'd never seen one. The only ball that I thought about concerning football was that oblong ball that we all know about. And, well, I brought couple of soccer balls brought them back, and the boys kicked them around, but never got into it. We moved to Texas. They got into soccer immediately. 
and they were playing on, on, on clubs. And our oldest son was a goalie, and he was being coached by this European soccer player who came over to coach their, their team. And so he was coaching him about being the best goalie and what he had to do to really be good. So he told him, you've got to get in the right position physically. His body had to be in the right position. His hands had to be in the right positions. He had to be positioned physically. But he also had to be positioned in the net, in the net. So if a guy's coming this way, he had to be positioned. And he had to cut off the angles. All of it was about positioning, positioning. If he was going to win as a goal, he had to be in the right position. Could I say to you, if you're going to win in life, you've got to be in the right position. If you're going to experience a life that is more than rather than a life that is less than, you've got to be in the right position. Paul knew that, and he wrote to those Ephesians, and he recognized where they were geographically in a great, great city. Ephesus was a tremendous city. You can go there into the archaeological digs, and you can see what a great city it was. It was, it was a massive, amazing city of libraries and education, philosophy and religion, athletics. It had all of it, everything. And he wrote to the Ephesians, and he says, to you saints who are in Ephesus. But he didn't stop there because he wanted them to know it's not geographical location that makes the difference. There's something else. There's another kind of position that you've got to have if you're going to live a life that is more than rather than a life that is less than. And he said to them, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are the faithful ones, listen to this, in Christ Jesus. And in that first chapter at the beginning of the, of the letter, he wants to nail down to them where they really are. They're not just geographically located, but they're located in a position to live a life of more than. And he reminds them again and again and again in the first chapter. In the first chapter. He reminds them again and again, listen, you are positioned in Christ. You see, there are spheres of life, spheres of life. And not all spheres of life can be seen with the physical eyes. And when you are in Christ, that is a sphere of life. It is as if you have been taken from this sphere and put in this sphere. And that's what had happened to those Ephesians believers. They were in Christ. They were positioned to live a life of more than the life that they long for. They were positioned. How did that happen? There was a transaction that occurred that transferred them from one realm to another realm. They were in this realm, a transaction occurred, and then they were in this realm. What was the transaction? It's to those who believe. In other words, if they were living in this sphere trying to make that more than kind of life happen, and they came to the position that they realized and to the place that they realized, I can't do this. I don't have the capacity. I may be in a great city. I may have a great career. But there's something inside of me that's gnawing away at me and saying there's got to be more. My presence on this planet means I've got purpose on this planet. And that purpose is to be achieved when I achieve my potential. And they knew. And so something happened. What happened? There was a transaction. When they made the transaction, they were transferred. What was the transaction? It was a transaction of faith. 
It was a transaction of faith. They were the ones who were believing. They moved from being people who were trusting themselves, trusting their environment, trusting their circumstances, trusting coincidences, and they became a people who began to trust in Christ. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, something happens that you cannot do for yourself. Something happens that you cannot explain by yourself. Here's what the Bible calls it. It's a transfer of trust. And when we transfer our trust, we are transferred. We are transferred. The Bible calls it in Romans chapter 1 being off horizon. It's like we're living in this sphere. If you've ever traveled on the ocean, you can see so far, but there's out something out there beyond what you can see. It's called the off horizon. You're in this circle, experiencing this circle, but as you sail across the ocean, then you become in this sphere, in this circle. And so you move from one sphere to another sphere. That transfer happens when we transfer our trust. It's a transaction of faith. I want to ask you, have you intentionally, volitionally, personally made that transaction of faith? Have you transferred your trust? I call it stepping across the line of faith. I'm over here in this sphere. I'm living with my faith in myself, my environment, my circumstances, and my hopes. But then I come to the edge, this line, and I say, wait just a moment. This is not where I'm going to go. This is not the way I'm going to live. I'm going to transfer my trust to him, and when I transfer my trust to him, I'm moved over here. It's something that God does via his spirit. The Bible says that when we put our trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God supernaturally moves us from this sphere to this sphere. And then we're in a position, we're in a position, we're in a position to experience the life of more than. Moving from less than to more than position. Have you positioned yourself? If you have, here's what happens. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. He didn't say, I've come to give you a life to get by. He said, I've come to give you a life that is full, that is flowing, that is meaningful, that is rich, is purposeful, that is at a mon your ability to ask or think or dream of. I've come to give you that life. And when we transfer our trust to him, the Spirit of God moves us in the sphere. Paul calls it in other places, in the sphere of Jesus, your position. Are you positioned? Are you positioned? If you are, what the next thing he's going to do is give you a perspective. You can have a perspective, a different kind of perspective. You can possess a perspective to live a more than kind of life. There are two ways to live life. Two ways. One way is you live life from the outside in, and the other way is you live life from the inside out. You look at life from the outside in, what's happening out here, and your life is determined by what happens out here. Or you can look in here and decide that I'm going to live life from the inside out, and it moves from within you to the outside of you. If you live your life, look, listen, if you live your life looking just at the outside. I would, I've got news for you. 
it's going to be sometimes defeating. It's sometimes going to be discouraging. And many times, if you listen to the news channels, it'll always be discouraging. It's negative news, negative news, negative news, negative news, negative news, negative news. You would think there's nothing else in this earth except something negative to bombard our minds if we look at the outside, but there is another perspective, and it's looking at life from the inside. When things come at us, we need to see from the inside out, not the outside in. We need to allow our hearts, our minds, our souls look at life from there. Listen, if Paul and Jesus would step out of heaven and step on this platform, they would speak to us. And in a real way, I've come to tell you that from the words of this book and from the lips of our Lord, he steps out of heaven and through the pages of the Bible, he's speaking to you and to me today. Paul has something to say. Jesus has something to say about how we live our lives. We don't live it from the outside in and live a life of more than. If we live it from the outside in, we live a life less than. And so he steps into our world and says to us, no, live a life from the inside out, and you can live a life that is more than. You probably heard it said, what happens inside of you is more important than happens outside of you. It's not so big deal what happens to you. It's a big deal what happens in you. When something happens to you from the outside, it's not so much a big deal. It's not the defeating. It's not the last word. It's not the end of all what happens to you from the outside. It is the end of all what happens to you from the inside. It's how you respond. That's the reason Paul says to his followers, let, let, let's look at life from the soul within. That's what he takes them to in this passage. I can just see the Ephesians believers sitting there meandering around, looking, wondering, thinking through, talking about, just, just sort of pondering the words of Paul as he spoke to them. And he said to them, listen, I want you to see life from the inside out. He takes them to that dimension. Here's what he said. Verse 17, he said, I, I, pray, I pray for God to give you a spirit, listen, of wisdom and revelation. In other words, wisdom is the ability to see what God is doing in life and align yourself with it. Revelation is where God gives you something that you see inside of, from the inside of you. It's not knowledge that comes to you. It's revelation. It's the discernment within you. I pray that you will have that so that they, why? They could know things? No. Follow me. Come close. He's, he didn't pray that so they'd be smart. He didn't pray that so they'd have, they'd know things that other people didn't know. He said, I pray this so that you will know God. I pray that you'll have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you will know God. Then in verse 18, he turns the corner. And he prayed they would see this, what this positioning meant to them. He prayed they would see in their inner being, their mind, their heart, their soul. Hear how he said it. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
He said it's like a video running. And that video is running continuously before your mind. It's running before your heart. It's running before your soul. It's reaching into your inner person. And I want you to see, Paul said, I want you to see that God has a destiny for you. I want you to see that God has a life of more than for you. And I want you to see that. And the way you see that is when you know God. When you know God, I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you will know God. And when you know God, you can see life differently. Paul said you can look at life through the lens of that relationship with God. How do we gain the perspective? that moves us to live a more than kind of life. When you know God, when you know God, listen, when you really know God, when you read the Bible, let me, could I give you a, could I give you a word of encouragement? When you read the Bible, read the Bible looking for God. When you read the Bible looking for God, looking to know God, it's not, a, it's not just about us finding pathways to walk on it's it's about getting to know a person who gives us a perspective regardless of the pathway that we're on you may be on a good pathway you may not you may be on one that's not so good but if your perspective is based upon knowing who God is it will change the way you see the pathway that you're on pray that you may know the God of the universe and know that you 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 have a purpose that came from him. The God who flung the stars into space and gave every one of them a name. Can you get over that? Can you get over that? I can't. Yeah, he knows your name, but he knows the name of the stars. And he has a purpose for you. It's not that he has a purpose for that guy over there and no purpose for me. No, he's got a purpose for you. And when we look at life from that, we see that we have a purpose from him, but we also have a pleasure for him. In other words, we become a treasure to God. We become a treasure to God. An inheritance. We have four sons, and I tease the guys quite often. Well, not quite often. Probably overstated. That's, I'm going to retract that because I don't want to be a preacher who overstates things, you know. So I'll retract that. But occasionally I'll say to them, if you're not nice to me, I'll just cut you out of the inheritance. Oh, yeah, I get in the flesh sometimes. But, listen, you know what they say? Don't worry, Dad. We know it's not that much. Sometimes don't we feel like, oh, we're not that much. God says, you're missing it. <laughs> I treasure you. We sing about the never-ending love of God. Climbs mountains, kicks down walls, tears apart lives, brings truth out of the shadows. <laughs> so that he can say to you and me, 
I've got something in mind for you. You're my treasure. See, when you begin to look at life like that, and we begin to see life from the inside out, we'll have a perspective that assures us that the life that we long for, the desire to live more than, is something that God designs for us to have. Are you with me on that? Are you with me? Listen. God designs it. God desires it. And God has put it in your destiny to live a more than kind of life. Unto Him. Who? God. Unto Him. Who is able to do everything, anything, all things, beyond I am able to imagine or to ask. Think about that. Wow. What a life. You say, man, that sounds great. I want in on that. How can I do that? Is it possible? I don't feel like I've got the strength to live that kind of life. I don't feel like I've got everything that I need to that kind of life. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm weak. You don't know me, Claude. No, you don't know me. Here's what I want to say to you. You can experience the power slash the word power, capacity, capacity, slash ability. You can experience the ability to live a more than kind of life. Years ago, the 1940s, Enrico Fermi was a scientist working at the University of Chicago. He started piddling around with Einstein's theory of relativity. And when he did, he came out of that and he made this statement. He said, we can split the atom and release the power in a ratio of one to six million. We can split the atom and release the power in a ratio of one to six million. And the nuclear atomic age was born. You see, the power of the atomic age was always there. It was there. It was unknown, it was undiscovered, and it was unapplied. I've got a word for you and me today. <laughs> There's a power that's greater than the atomic power. There's a power that's greater than the nuclear power. That's the power of God. I know we say that. I know we say it, but the guy who was in that first service and he walked out of here, he said, I experienced that inside of me and I don't know all about it. It's okay. It's okay, isn't it okay? It's okay. You don't have to know all about it. The power. Paul wanted the Ephesians to get it, and so what he did, he turned and he said, let, let me give you a description of this power, and he took about four or five words and in those four or five words in that one phrase not a sentence a phrase he stacked them one on top of the other the first one was the word hooperbalon hooper 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 above or beyond then he combined that with megathos mega that which is great that which is bigger 
And he took those to introduce the four words that he used for power. The word dunamis. Probably you've heard preachers talk about dunamis. It's the word with which we get our word dynamite. And every time I hear a preacher talk about that, I think about what are you trying to blow up? Dunamis is more than that. Dunamis is the, in, listen to me, it's the inherent power of God. It's the power of God to do what God wants to do. It's inherent. Residing in Him by the virtue of who He is. Dunamis. Then He used the word energia. We get the word energy from it. And in the New Testament, it only refers to supernatural energy. Either the energy of Satan or the energy of God. It's not referred to as the energy of man. This energy. Then he uses the word kratos, which is the force and the strength of Almighty God. Then he uses the word iskus, which refers to ability and to might. And it's like Paul said, I don't want you to miss it. Let me stack word upon word upon word upon word so that you will know. Let me just give you a description here. He didn't choose one word for power. He chose all those words for power because he wanted to get into a comprehensive communication and say, this is the power of God. Then he said, well, in case you didn't get it, not only let me give you a description of it, let me give you a demonstration. And he said, here's the power of God if you want to know what it's like. One day Jesus was taken from a cross, that's Good Friday, and he was put into a tomb. And then upon the third day when they went to the tomb, he wasn't there. Nobody had stolen his body. Paul said it was by that power that God raised him from the dead. And God put him in a heavenly place, a place of supernatural authority where everything on this planet, listen to me, everything on this planet, everything in the ages to come is under the dominion and under the feet of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? How did that happen? Are you ready? It happened by the power of God. Paul said, I hope you get this. I hope you get this because this is what I'm talking about for you. Take note. Take note. The power that Paul described can tear down things. It can kick down walls. It can tear down things, but it can also build up things. Whatever needs to be torn down for you to realize that life of more than, you can tear it down. Whatever needs to be built up in your life to experience that life of more than, you can build it up. He can tear down that which is destructive and build that which is constructive in your life so that you might experience the life that you long for and that more can, more than kind of life that God desires and destines for us to have. How do, I, how do I release this power in my life? How do I do it? If you just give me another minute or two. If I, if, if I, if I could just sit down at your kitchen table over coffee and, and, and biscuits and gravy... could really unpack it for you, but I'm going to do my best here in this minute or two. How does that happen in my life? It happens under the principle of paradoxes. It happens under the principle of paradoxes. The first paradox is this. 
in my recognized weakness. I experienced his released power. Paul, whose tracks are all over the New Testament, all over Christianity. Paul said, I've, I've, got, a, I've, got, I've got a stake, not, not a little rosebush thorn. I've got a stake in my side. And this stake in my side is it's bothering me. So I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, will you take this stake from me? I don't know what it was. All kinds of conjectures have been made by preachers, but nobody really knows. It's no, it's a stake. Take it out. And the Lord said, no, Paul. He went back a second time and said, Lord, this is, this is really bad, and it's, it's bothering me. Take it out. The Lord says, no, Paul. He said, I went the third time, the third time. And I said, Lord, take it out. And the third time, the Lord said, no. Paul, I want you to live a paradox. In your weakness, I'm going to make you strong. In your weakness, I'm going to make you strong. And here's how it was said to him. My grace is all you need. My grace, Paul, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul said, now, I'm glad I, I, I can brag about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Lord, I'm anemic. Lord, I'm weak. And, and going to the gym is not going to change it for me. My diet's not going to change it. The supplements are not going to help. I'm weak. I'm weak. Lord, I'm weak. The Lord says, yeah, you're in the right place <laughs> because in your weakness will make you strong. When I was 20, in my early 20s, I was associate pastor at a great church there in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we grew up. My mentor would bring in great preachers from all across the country, set up a big tent, Big tent, have tent revivals back in the day. He brought in this guy. I admired him so much, this preacher. My mentor said to me, Claude, I want you to go pick him up. This preacher, five-star hotels were no deal to him. He wanted to be in a motel on the backside so he wouldn't be bothered. He wanted quietness and stillness. My mentor said, this is where he is. This is his room. And when you go, knock on the door. Go to his room, knock on the door. And when you do, he'll open the door and invite you in. When he invites you in, go in. I went and knocked on the door. Dr. Jess came to the door and opened the door. He said, come in, Claude. I went in. And I looked on the mirror right in front of me in the dresser. And there was a, there was a saying there that, was, that had been taped up there, banner cut said I can't but God can I looked over on the bed and there was a, roll, a laid out banner and on that banner said the same thing I can't but God can just turned and said I'll be with you in just a moment Claude and he turned to go get his Bible and his coat and I turned and looked at the door I'd walked through and on the back of that door before you went out said I can't 
but God can. I said, Dr. Jess, tell me about these banners. He was a man. He didn't have a, he had a weak voice. Had a weak voice. It was so powerful. Hold his hand up and shake it. I've seen people crowd the aisles back in the day, coming down those aisles in response to that weak voice preacher. I said, what do, you, what do you have these for? He said, they're the last thing I want to see when I leave this room because I want to be reminded I can't, but God can. See, the paradox is when I know I can't, we liberate God so he can. In my weakness, in your weakness, he becomes strong first paradox is that of recognition weakness the power of God is released second paradox is this when I give everything up I get everything I need when I, when I surrender I receive when I release I receive Bible described it this way that when I embrace the paradox of yielding I get control I get control 1980s I was listening to a tape that's how long ago it was I was listening to a tape not a CD not a podcast a tape a cassette tape I was walking and I had earplugs in my ear listening to the cassette tape. And this preacher said, you know, you ought to have a prayer that you pray where you give everything you got to God. Thought about that. I developed a prayer from the mid-1980s, maybe 30-plus years ago. On a recurring basis, I pray this prayer. I, I prayed it between the services. The prayer goes like this. Lord, I give you absolute, unmitigated permission for you to do whatever you choose to do. In my life, to my life, for my life, or through my life, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of others, and for my sake. Could I say to you, it's not only recognizing and realizing my weakness, it's also releasing my control. I yield. Lord, I yield. Sometimes when we sing, we put our hands in the air. We're saying, Lord, I yield. I yield. I surrender. When you put your hands up like this when you're singing, I surrender. I yield. Lord, I recognize and acknowledge my weakness. 
I release all I am to you so you can do what only you can do in my life. Position by faith. Perspective through intimacy with God. Surrender so the power of God can flow through my life. Take me to live the life I long for and live more than I could ever dream. Could I say to you in a word of testimony, you don't know me, you don't know my story, you don't know where I came from, how I grew up, you don't know much about me. If you could go back to me as a boy and look at me as a boy where I was and follow me around in these days where I go and do what I do, you'd say there's something strange that happened with that little boy. When in his living room he bowed, put a Bible on the chair, his mother did, gave his life to Christ and started a journey. That little boy. There's something strange about him. Now, could I tell you what it is? Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And through relationship with him, I come to know God. Through relationship with him, I gain a perspective of who God is and look at life through the lens of that relationship. It changes everything. Because of Him, He's able to do in me, with me, to me, and through me what I could never dream possible. I got to tell you, that's real. Bow your heads, please. As I said, it was an eight-year-old boy with me. I was in my bed crying because I knew that my life was not right. I was eight years old. I hadn't done anything horrible. Just my life wasn't right. My mother heard me cry. And out of discernment, she took me in the living room, opened the Bible in the seat of that chair, and I transferred my trust stepped across the line of faith God put me in a different world have you ever transferred your trust get in that sphere where you live your life not only geographically but you live that life spiritually relationship with the eternal holy almighty God if you haven't I invite you to right where you're seated you need to do is just release yourself to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe that you've done everything that I need done for me to have a right relationship with God. I acknowledge where I am, who I am, and what I've done. And I'm trusting you to take care of everything in my past, take care of my future in heaven, and Lord, that you'll, you put me on that pathway where I can see and I can experience the life that you have for me. You've never
never made that transfer and that transaction, I ask you to do it right where you're seated. Perhaps you have. Somehow you've gotten off the way, off the path, and you're living less than that God's designed for you and destined for you and paid the price for you to live. Right now, you're going to say, Lord, I'm coming back to life again. I'm coming back to life again. thank you for being so real in this service. I pray for every one of us that we will do right now what you put in our hearts to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is moving in your life. Share your story by visiting theexchangechurch.org and click on connect to contact us.